Today on the Zabecast, what on earth would provoke an 81-year-old sports casting legend to go full-on crazy and to face his neighborhood sign? We report, you decide. There's a home for sale called 50 Shades of Maple Green. Andy Poland joins me. He has some thoughts on the new football league and how the pecking order used to be in sports media 30 years ago. All that, plus it all comes down to grip strength. Bonus Abe is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go. Here we go. Tuesday, February 12, 2019. Thank you for downloading. Let's start with a email feedback from a topic from last week regarding the Super Bowl. And the commercial with the young girl who had accepted a junior college scholarship and said, one day, I want to play in the NFL. I laughed at the notion and said, this is nonsense because this will never happen in my lifetime. And for the NFL to be pushing these fantasies and and insane dreams is counterproductive. Better to say, you know, I'm pushing for one day creating a, a women's NFL so we can compete in a parallel universe in which our size and strength is appropriate for each other and not pretend like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to learn how to run real fast and do a lot of sit-ups and push-ups, and someday I'll be competing against the men. Very politically incorrect these days. Uh, John Gallagher emailed me the following. Last week, I heard you talking about the NFL Super Bowl commercial, and I agree in respect that you actually said so on the air that this was pure fantasy and would never, ever happen. I also appreciate that you didn't tweet it because, heck, you don't need that kind of hassle. Oh, yeah, I've, I think I've learned my lesson on Twitter. It's like, it's like trying to, twi- I think someone once said Twitter is fighting the entire internet all at once. <laughs> Picking a fight with the whole internet. I'm going to take all of you on with my 240 character opinion. But I'll say what I want to say here on the Zabecast, and I'll back it up. That's the thing. I'll back it up. Back it up, bitch. I'll back it up. Here's more backing up on this. So John Gallagher writes, this is also relevant for the people that want biological men to compete with biological women. It's a bad idea. I found a very interesting study a few years back. The full text seems to have disappeared from Google searches or has moved behind paywalls. Don't think that's by accident either. Here's the net-net, Zabe. It showed that in upper body strength, 90% of women were weaker than 95% of males. In other words, a woman who is stronger than 90% of other women in upper body strength is only stronger than 5% percent of the males. It showed that a 90th percentile world-class female athlete is only stronger than 25% of all men. Behold your stat of the day. I attached the study, probably a TLDR for you. By the way, that means too long, didn't read. We live in such a day and age in the internet where it's like just... Give me more stuff. Feed me more. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Swipe, swipe, swipe. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Not fast enough. God, I need something to scroll faster. But you're not even seeing anything. I don't care. Just feed me internet content. Anyway, the key points, and you can see with a quick glance, that this was a serious study, and they controlled for things like hand size, lean body mass, The key chart is at the end of the message, blah, blah, blah. Exercise physiologists, writes John Gallagher, often use grip strength as a proxy for upper body strength because it is a reasonably accurate predictor of upper body strength. And it's much easier and safer to obtain than doing one rep max for bench press, especially for non-athletes and untrained people. So in other words, you want to measure the upper body strength of 2,000 randomized men and women. Do you want them doing one rep bench press when 
they might be some squidnik who's never actually bench pressed anything. Dude, do you even lift, bro? No, so they test grip strength. Sidebar on grip strength for a second. We have all met guys who have insane grip strength and want to show you that in a handshake. They love to show their dominance in an overly firm handshake. And this could be big dudes who are clearly weightlifters and whatever, or sometimes it's small, wiry dudes who work in trades with their hands, pipe fitters, or plumbers, roofers, and they give you that with the grip strength. My grip strength sucks. I've got short, I got big palms, short fingers, and rheumatoid arthritis and or Lyme disease, so my grip strength is not great. But grip strength is a big deal. I remember once George Allen, coach of the Redskins, wanted Dave Butts to take a grip strength test because that's how George Allen was going to sort of determine whether guys made the team or not. Not the only reason, but it was part of the suite of, of tests he wanted guys to take. I think Dave Butts is like, I'm not taking a grip strength test, and then grabbed George Allen by the shirt and lifted him up, and I was like, okay, that's fine. Never mind. Anyhow, back to this point. So the study was done in Germany, and they got over 1,600 men, 500 women, all in their early 20s to participate. Then they got 60 world-class female athletes who are on the German national Olympic teams, and they got these athletes specifically in sports that require a very strong grip, like judo, handball, and others, and they then measured them. The idea was to find out what the upper limits of strength were for women and how much of the normal difference between men and women could be overcome by intense physical training of women. Spoiler alert, not much. So they're comparing world-class, currently competing female athletes in sports that require very high grip strength, who train all day, every day with exercises designed specifically to increase their grip strength, against regular dudes, most of whom are not on any kind of sports team. A 90th percentile world-class female athlete was only stronger than 25% of the regular men. That's unbelievable. The single very strongest freak of nature elite Olympic woman is still weaker than one third of the regular guys out there. These are the limits of biology for women. Oh, you are treading into dangerous waters here now, Johnny Gallagher. You know you can't say these things publicly without being thrown into the thought prison. He goes on to say, these are the most genetically gifted, top 1% of the top 1% strongest women training as hard as they could And that's as far as they can go. They can't even get to the strength of regular guys. And when it comes to professional sports, especially football, every player in the NFL is probably in the 95th percentile plus on strength for his size. The strongest women out there are simply nowhere close. A billion to one shot. Billion to one, million to one shot. Maybe there's a woman who's strong enough and is tough enough and plays youth sports at a level where she comes through the ranks and she's just got it. She's got the speed. We've seen, like at the All-Star Challenge, you know, the, the, the what's her name, Kendall Coyne, outskated a couple of men in the fastest skater competition. She's got jets, and that's great. There's no one suggesting she'll ever play in the NHL. No one. And, and the more that you want to promote and the more that, not you, but the more that anyone wants to promote a fantasy of, oh, someday they'll be, they'll be playing in the same league. It's nonsense. It's counterproductive. Build good, entertaining women's pro leagues that appeal to men. Then, then, my friends, you've got yourself a viable business. Then the women can aspire to those pro leagues and they can make money playing the sports that they love, and us men can have something else to watch, aside from all the men's sports. And there's nothing evil about it. There's nothing wrong with it. Unless you believe, like some people today, that we must erase all gender, 
and lump everybody into one pile. Selling real estate can be a tricky thing. You want to put out for your property the best look and the most features you can. But not everybody's dream house is the same as everybody else's. For example, you may have heard of this story by now. You certainly will, I think, in the days to come. Fifty Shades of Maple Glen. Wait, what? There's a house in Maple Glen, Pennsylvania for sale in which it looks like just a beautiful brick colonial. And the owner listed it with, of course, photos inside of the kitchen. Gorgeous. Center Island, wine fridge, high-end appliances. Uh, The main living room is gorgeous. Big brick wall, fireplace, some leather couches, some fake animal skin rugs. Uh, A pool table in the upper level next to the formal dining hall. I guess that's where, if you ever invite Matthew McConaughey over for a dinner party, he can impress you with trick shots. Can we just take a second to ask the question, what the fuck on that commercial? Matthew McConaughey and his trick shots. People buzzing, oh, oh, I've never seen that before. Look at the masse. McConaughey hit some crazy trick shot and pull, and then just boom, I'm out. Not mic drop, cue drop. Cue stick, drop, I'm out. Did you see that? Yeah, I'm the man. Yeah, let me, let me, let me go drive off in my, let me go drive off in my new uh, Buick. Is it a Buick that he's pimping? I kind of should, kind of bad advertising if I can't remember the damn car he's promoting. God, those commercials are great, aren't they? They got me talking about them, right? You are just awful. You're one of the worst, and I think that you need to go away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, they just like my movies, yeah. You are just awful. You're one of the worst, and I think that you need to go away. All right, back to Fifty Shades of Maple Glen. So there's a photograph of the pool table, upper level. Master bedroom, I mean, the size bed, it looks like two queen-size beds mashed together. And maybe it's the angle of the picture, but it looks like the widest bed I've ever seen in my life. And then there's an exercise room in the basement. Okay, that's great. And then other side of the basement is, whoa, wait, what? There's a sex swing with leather harnesses and chains and a fur rug underneath it. And then what's this over here? Oh, my God, it's a bed that is uh, encased in sort of like a four-post cage with chains strung from the top of the overhead canopy. Uh, There looks like there is a stocks at the foot of the bed, and (laughs) underneath the bed, it looks like a little doggy cage. Oh, my God, this is it. And then, of course, if there is any doubt, there's a, a rack on the wall with whips and paddles and floggers hanging from the wall, as if there was any doubt. These devices, these pieces of uh, bondage and sex furniture are just out in the open in this otherwise beautiful, almost all-white, airy basement area. Like, they must never, ever have kids come in this house, ever. Because the kids would be like, I want to go to the basement, let me go to the basement. Daddy? What's this? I can imagine kids tying up their sister just to annoy them on these devices. Five bedroom, two and a half bath home. Just went on the market. $750,000. And yes, the photos have already caused a stir. They have already been taken down. But thank you, the internet never forgets. And somebody always screen grabs them and then reposts them. I'm looking at them on BuzzFeed News. And, uh... (laughs) There was this exchange in an interview with Slate Magazine. Realtor Melissa Leonard was interrupted by an angry neighbor. Uh, Slate's reporter, Dan Coyce, on the other end of the phone, overheard this conversation. Male voice, we're very upset about this whole thing. We do not want something like this in our neighborhood. Take that off the internet. That's disgusting. We don't want that. The realtor, sir, if the owner wants those photos on the listing, that's their choice. Male voice, 
You got to take them down. We live next door. We don't want this. Realtor, you're angry at me, but you're really angry at the owner. I'm trying to sell the house as fast as possible. Male voice, people are all over the neighborhood and they're all saying they're here to see the sex house. Man, man, oh man, oh man. I'd say as far as uh, basement dungeons go, it's very classy. Not that I've seen a lot of them. I would think if you're going to have a little naughty room, uh, you should probably have that in a storage area that you have cleaned out and retrofitted and then have multiple locks on it with a key that is hidden somewhere in daddy's sock drawer so that little kids, when they're in the basement, romping around, can't just wander into the sex dungeon. God, that's hilarious. I can't wait, though, to show this story to my colleague, Richard Doc Walker, because for years, Doc has had a running joke with our other host, Al Galdi, in which he joked about Galdi having all this stuff in his basement. And Galdi took it in stride and kind of played along with it and laughed along with it. But as a running joke, it this is perfect, this story. I wonder if it adds value or not. Like, I, I wonder if somebody saw this and said, oh, wow, this is our dream house, honey. We can get freaky in the basement. Or if it's decreased value because of the attention now. I mean, the value of the actual pieces of furniture is not significant for a $750,000 house. Uh, You could easily dismantle them and pack them up, I I would imagine. Nothing totally fixed. It's not like they've got uh, stone floors in the basement and torch holders. But still, interesting. Fifty Shades of Maple Glen. Hello? Oh, there he is. Andrew! How are you? Good. How are you, brother? Good. I'm going to get in my car, so we'll have a nice sound here. All right. Very good. Very uh, good. How's your weekend? Uh, you know what? It was fine. You know, yeah. these winter weekends. Sucks. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what do we do in the winter? See, I'm not going to complain because I've already complained enough about the weather for 10 lifetimes. Yeah. So I'm not going to complain. But, eh, you know, these weekends just are whatever. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I, I wound up watching a Teddy Pendergrass documentary on Showtime because there really wasn't anything I was interested in yesterday afternoon, long time. <laughs> and and how was it? It was pretty good. I mean, I'm familiar with him, so um, I'm in my car now. So it was uh, it was pretty good. Did you watch the Grammys? A little bit. I mean, the music, it's hard for me to relate to it. I, you know, I haven't listened to current music in years. I know a lot of these acts. I'm like, wait, what? There's an artist yeah. named Her H yeah. period yeah. E period R. What? <laughs> you know, Billy Joel, uh, Paul McCartney, Springsteen, uh, Elton John. That's pretty much my wheelhouse there. But they have tributes and throwbacks to the past greats. Okay, like yeah. they had Smokey Robinson. Oh, yeah? Sing on stage last night at one point. I like smoking. Yeah, Motown, baby. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. So, let's start with this. Mason L. Cashin Jr. has passed away. You may know him as Red Cashin because mm-hmm. everyone back in the day was nicknamed Red in sports. <laughs> Red Cashin was the NFL referee known for the classic first down signal. Remember that? Yeah, I, I think that you and Scott Lynn are far more into the zebras <laughs> than I am. Don't you remember uh, first down Red Cashin? That's a yeah. first down. Who was the guy that said giving him the business? That was Ben Dreith. Okay. That yeah. that that was that was significant to me. Um other than that, the referee crew that terribly blew the non call in the in NFC championship game, those guys are idiots. Uh, yeah, well, of course, but I'm, I just would like to get your thoughts on when will we return to the era of the colorful referee? Um, I don't know if we will, because I think given the double checking that they can now do now cash in a lot of his career was spent where his final word was the final word. And I don't know if you want to stand out because when you're wrong, 
it's really doubly pointed out to you when the call is overturned. So uh, I think these guys want to lay low. And unless you get a big muscular guy like Hockley again, who likes to show off his guns, I don't think we're really going to get anybody like that. Do you remember Jess Kersey in the the NBA? Yeah. yeah. Redhead. He was a flamboyant NBA referee. Yeah. I remember Mendy Rudolph, and I think Mendy was one of the first to make the transition to television. And so that's where he became really the first well-known. Joey Crawford, of course, and his right. brother Shag, who's a baseball umpire. You know, a lot of these are families, you know. Sure. Uh, Gene Steratore has a brother that is still right. in the NFL, and Steratore is now doing college games only and CBS. He's still refereeing college basketball, but yeah. he's not doing the NFL. What about, so you said Mendy Rudolph? M-E-N-D-Y, yeah. not Mindy, like a girl's uh, name? No, it was Mendy, and I don't, I don't know if that was his actual first name or a derivation of it, but um, he was he was the referee when the Bullets played the Golden State Warriors in the 75 finals, and Casey Jones was the Bullets coach, and Casey was a low-key guy, and he wasn't the kind of guy who would scream at the referee, but they picked him up on the bench saying, Go ahead, give it to him, Mendy. All right, just, just turn it over to him. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, Marvin Mendy Rudolph. So okay, Marvin, Marvin yeah. was his real proper name. Mendy was his nickname. Yeah. Well, rest in peace, Red Cashin. First down. Yeah. You I don't love- hear of a guy named Whitey anymore either. Red, <laughs> Whitey, um, what are the other names that you could Those are have? good. Those are good. Yeah. Red and Whitey are good old school sports names. Uh, yeah. There was a sports writer, Red... Um, Red Smith. Okay. And there was a broadcaster by the name of Red. Red, Red Barber. <laughs> Red Barber, Red Smith, yeah. Red Cashin, mm-hmm. Whitey, Whitey Herzog, Whitey Ford. Right. If you had red hair, you were known as red. If you had blonde hair, you were known as whitey. But I guess in the politically correct era, that doesn't work anymore. Uh, I'm not even so sure it's that. I just think we need to bring back colorful nicknames for guys. Speaking of colorful, this story leapt off the internet page at me and screamed Andy Poland. Former Washington, D.C. and former New York City legendary (laughs) sportscaster Warner Wolf was arrested in Florida last week at the age of 81 for vandalizing his own neighborhood sign because the neighborhood he lives in is called Plantation Estates. And he has argued with the HOA saying, I don't like the word plantation. It's too reminiscent of slave plantations. The HOA apparently didn't take him seriously. And so one day... He took matters into his own hand, which they said on the people's court, never do that. And he got arrested for defacing the sign. Not only that, a man who made his career saying, let's go to the videotape, was caught on videotape defacing such signs. The irony. Also (laughs) a guy that would say, one of his other catchphrases was, come on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I I like Warner, and I had the opportunity to work with him. I have not talked to him in about a year or so. When did you work with Warner? Well, remember when Tony Kornheiser was working for The Post? He used to write a style What year is this? This would have been 1996, I believe, 96 or 97. I think 96. And so... WTEM uh, had just launched two years earlier, 94. Right. 92, 92, 92, excuse me. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, Tony would take off every Thursday because he said, I need to get a jump on the style column, which wasn't due until Friday evening, but he felt he needed two days to do it. So he said, I need to take off every Thursday. So we'd have a variety of hosts. And about that time, 96 Warner was fired by channel nine because they said, Warner, if you read the horse racing results one more time, we're going to fire you. He read the horse racing results. They fired him. No so, way. That's how he oh, got yeah. fired from nine? Yeah. Well, it was building, but that was the final straw. Hold that, on. Uh, hold on. Why was he reading horse racing results? Because he'd always read horse racing results. At, at the 11 o'clock news? Sometimes the six. You know, let's go to the fifth at Pimlico. Hey, come on. <laughs> <laughs> was he big into the ponies? 
I don't know if he played them, but you know, in the days before there was a lot of videotape available, you could always get horse racing video. So that was something he could put in and it made him famous and wealthy, both in Washington and New York. So when he came back to DC to replace the late, great Glenn Brenner, uh, he stayed with it. Do you think think that maybe he got in deep at a track and they said, Mm -hmm. look, the way to pay us back is make sure you get horse racing clips on the news and that'll help our business. No, I don't think so. I don't, I don't, I didn't see Warner as a big better. I don't think that was his style. Um, but it, but that was what got him out. So he had two years left, I believe on his TV contract, which they were paying. And they said, you can't do any television, obviously, while you're still under contract, but you can do radio. So he began doing every Thursday in place of Tony. And the first show that he did now, Warner never read the teleprompter on TV. That's another thing they didn't like. And he would write out little notes about stories on envelopes. He liked envelopes. Envelopes. Yeah. And I guess they were easy to flip over, you know, once he got through with one story. So it's a, it's a three hour show. And the first show we open the seg, we open the show and he goes through about seven or eight things. And he says, and that's it. And I go, well, Warner, it's uh 10 after 10. And we have another two hours and 50 minutes. Oh, my God. (laughs) So perhaps we should we should expand some of those things that you've just talked about. (laughs) And and, uh, eventually, you know, he got he got a lot better at it. And he had an incredible Rolodex. He got Willie Mays on. Willie Mays never did anybody's show. Really? Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. He had he had people that he knew. I I think he did Steinbrenner. You'd have to ask Scott Lynn, who was actually the producer of that show. Right. But uh, he got he got quite a few well-known people on. And then he also had tapes that he'd saved, including an interview he'd done with Rocky Marciano while driving in a car. Get out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so handing him he's sitting in the passenger seat and he's just passing the mic under Rocky Marciano's face as Rocky drove the car. Or, the, or they were being driven, whoever it was. Oh, okay. it, it, it was an interview, and uh, he had that. You know, Rocky Marciano died in 68, 69 in a plane crash. So those kind of things you know, he was able to bring. But when it got to the more modern stuff, he really wasn't into it that much. All right. What do you make of old guy syndrome where you decide you're, going, you're just going to go to the mat for something that is bothering you? Like, to do this is the sign of I'm getting old. I don't give a fuck anymore and I'm just going to do it. What's the worst that can happen? Cause I'm staring at my own death. Not that far from right now. It could be. I mean, my father just turned 90 and he has some of that where you just say whatever you want. And yeah, there really is no consequences. I think all the Polans have that syndrome, including yeah. Mrs. P as well. <laughs> well, she's, she's married in. So she, <laughs> Whatever, sure. The force is strong with that woman, I'll tell you that much. And you, too, have oftentimes just shot straight with people where I'm like, okay, that was very honest. Might be a little bit hurtful, but Andy is not going to dance around it. That's right. That's that's what I believe in. <laughs> so I, I, I think his heart was in the right place. His head obviously wasn't. And a picture of Warner in a jumpsuit at the age of 81, not very becoming. <laughs> Although he's got street cred, though. Bad boy for life. Bad yeah. boy for life now on Warner Wolf. Why did he move into the neighborhood if he didn't like the name? I don't know. The other thing about the name Plantation is there's an actual city in Florida called Plantation, Florida. Oh, I know. And we talked about this on my show in D.C. I said, you know, I understand Plantation has a negative connotation because of slave, but there's a lot of other just agricultural plantations mm-hmm. that have nothing to do with it. Right. So we're not going to be able to go around, you know, changing every plantation name everywhere. That's going to be, no, that's impossible. Right, right. Yeah, but I think he, he overstepped here. I think he was I, drunk. I, no, no, I, I don't I don't get the sense he's a drinker. But you don't I, I get don't the sense he's a drinker or a gambler. What's wrong with you? I bet he was well, drunk and he gambles a lot. He lives in Florida, for God's sakes. He's well, retired. He, I, he told me he'd taken up golf. He was playing some golf. He liked that. It's, okay. uh, but I play, you know, he liked to play cards, I guess, but I, I never sensed that he was a, he was a gambler. I think he was just a guy who really liked sports. He liked it as a kid and it's that passion always stayed with him. He liked to keep himself in shape. He used to work out at the same gym that I did. 
And uh, I just uh, doesn't fit the profile to me. That a uh, hell of a story, though. Come on. Come you on. live in a neighborhood named Plantation. Come Boo. on. Boo of the week. The Boo. <laughs> Boo of the week. God, I wish, I wish we could bring back the days where the local TV sports anchors were larger than life, where they were significant, where they mattered on the landscape, Andy. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I don't know what the circumstances are in Milwaukee, where I know you have a lot of people who listen to this podcast, but our good friend Ernie Bauer, who's a legendary television director yeah. uh, and, and did a lot of work for CBS as well, <laughs> one of his favorite trivia questions is, name the local sports anchors. And there, there's a guy on the local CBS, Channel 9, who I've only seen when the Redskins have played games on Channel 9. That's the only exposure I have to him. Because well, you don't when, watch nine. Yeah, you're, I watch. You're channel, a four guy, four. and you've yeah, been a four. you've been a channel four guy forever, right? Well, well, when when Glenn Brenner was alive, I was a Glenn Brenner guy, and, and he was on Glenn, channel nine. Channel nine. He unfortunately passed away at the age of forty four in nineteen ninety two. But uh, he the was brain, actually brain on the tumor. air. Brain tumor. Yeah, he was on the air before George Michael, who was a real you know trailblazer in terms of what he did not just with local tv but the syndicated sunday night show he had right. a sports machine but uh glenn was on before uh before george was and i just became a glenn guy and i thought he was he's had that unique ability to just be funny yeah just stand up cuff. funny you, you yeah. stand up and say something you're already like in a good mood watching him uh george michael died of a brain tumor was it i thought it was cancer but yeah brain uh, cancer I don't know if it was related to the brain, but it may have been. I don't know. Okay. Um, but yes, he had, he also he was about seventy. But George yeah, Michael George, George Michael invented Sports Center for network television. Yeah. Because that Sunday night uh, sports machine was a mini version of Sports Center when you couldn't get Sports Center unless you had cable TV. And Be- few people did for most of his run. Well, not most, but I say the first half of his run. Relatively few people had cable TV. So the sports machine was 30 minutes after the local news at 1130, and it was on our local NBC affiliate and distributed to other NBC affiliates around the country, correct? Right, right, right. I'd, I'd go back to those days tomorrow, Andy. Tomorrow. <laughs> you know that? I would. I'd give up all of my worldly electronic possessions to go back to a simpler time like that. I'm not kidding. Yeah, it was a simpler time, but you know, I mean, everything changes and, uh, you know, you, do you, you ever talk to college classes or, or high school classes? No, should I? Well, you don't have to, but I, I do it uh, a fair amount, you know, six or seven times a year. And, and I, I just tell them, I say, look, I came in on a covered wagon. I don't know what's out there for you. I really don't. I mean, you're, you're going to have to adapt. Um, and, and I don't know if you're old enough to have felt this, but when I got in, this was the lowest rung. Radio sports guys were the lowest form of humanity in the locker room. Okay, pecking order was television. No, writers won? Columnists. Columnists, Columnists right. Yeah. Columnists were at the top of the heap. Yeah. Local, local TV sports anchors, the number right. one sports guy at all three and then four once Fox came in the mix. But mm-hmm. ABC, NBC, CBS, the local sports anchor in a major market, sort of the, you know, the, the, the brick Tamlin of the day, right? Yeah. Sports mm-hmm. guy. Or no, brick was weather. Champ kind. Champ kind. An anchorman <laughs> uh, lingo. He was number two. Number three was who? A regular beat reporter? Beat for writers, the local yeah. news, newspaper, and then radio yeah. guys were way down below. Way down, looked down upon, and really looked down upon by the newspaper people until they finally realized, wait a minute, I can get a show on his station and I can make money. Maybe I should be nice to them. Um, they, they didn't like the fact that we had the immediacy. They really didn't like the fact that after the game was over, we would collect our sound get our little interviews in the locker room and then leave. They had to go write stories. They hated that. And, (laughs) and they also didn't like, they thought, you know, their questions were Pulitzer prize worthy. And we were getting the benefit of that by sticking our microphone in the same little scrum. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, do you know the name Dick Young? Dick Young. I've heard of it. Okay. Dick Young was a legendary sports writer in New York city. 
And Dick Young was, here's what trailblazer he was. In, in his day, early on, the sports writer would watch the game and write what he saw, his opinion. That was it. Dick Young was the first guy to go into the clubhouse and ask, you know, Leo DeRocher, what well, why did you hit and run here? Yeah. yeah. Or, or why did you make this pitching change? Really? In the inning? Yeah. Yeah. So and, Dick uh, Young, I remember, by the way, is Dick Whitey Young. Uh, <laughs> but <I'm bold. laughs> I don't think he was Whitey. But he was, anyway, he, uh, he started that. And he also used to do a, a column called Clubhouse Confidential, where he would get actual quotes from players and, and managers. And that was that was a new thing. And, of course, everybody eventually went that way. I encountered him in the late stages of his career and what he would do if he was standing in front of a player and somebody would stick a microphone over his shoulder, he would yell obscenities in the microphone to destroy the possible sound bites that you were getting on your tape recorder. Oh my God. (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. I did not know that sports writers used to just sit, watch the game, observe, and then write about it until one writer's like, "Eh, maybe I should go ask Skip what happened in the seventh inning now did you see there was a story about how many major metropolitan metropolitan newspapers are eliminating the traditional game story right did you see that i did i did and and um a number of them with the super bowl because they're like we're not gonna do a game story everyone watched the game everyone knows what happened in the game we're gonna do key moments or sidebars like all side dishes no main course all side dishes. I think I think this is an accurate number. When I covered the first Super Bowl I covered was United Press International was the Bears and the Patriots 1986, the great 85 Bears team. I believe the Chicago Tribune sent 22 writers to cover that Super Bowl. What? Yeah. 22 writers only. Right. Yeah. There were writers. There was a newspaper, they, and they had no internet. Yeah. Remember, there's there's no there's no why you know <laughs> stories to put out, no video to put out online. There was no online, and now some of them were you know like style columnists and uh, you know general news people, but they were there. I mean, it was it was remarkable how many people were there from just that one newspaper. And I imagine the Sun Times had a similar number of people there. Yeah, I know one thing that's a lot different about what I do and what you do and have done, you know, the sports talk business and the sports talk game, so to speak, Mm -hmm. you and I are what I consider generalists. We are opinionists. We are, we are general opinionists where we're almost like a family doctor, a general (laughs) practitioner, a GP. Right. We know a little bit about every little disease and every little thing. So we can help get you on the right track but we're not specialists. We can refer you to a specialist, but that's what we are, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and, and I'm very careful about when I find an opinion that somebody has written that I like, you I will give them credit. Her. Right. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so back in the day, 25 years ago, you made the, you, know, you relayed the anecdote of Warner Wolf riffing through 10 things and going, okay, that's it. And we're like, we got two hours and 45 minutes left. The thing that was, more difficult back then 25 years ago is you had to be super passionate about sports and really follow it where it was harder to follow all the different sports. And you had to have ideas and opinions and theories and rants and concepts. And I, you had to fill all that up on your own. Now, Andy, the takes for lack of a better term are mass delivered every day via the internet in 1800 different ways. Oh yeah. yeah. And so it's not hard for somebody that wants to be a general sports talk host to just pick up a handful of takes here on the NBA, a handful of takes here on the NFL and away you go. It's a lot easier now. And so it's kind of devalued what you and I do. I think. Well, I would say this though, the, the generation that grew up with all this and I mentioned the name Grant Paulson uh, for a 30 year old guy, now he can't, he can't relate it to anything that happened like prior to when he was born 30 years ago. So it's all recent, but growing up and absorbing everything that he was able to do on the internet, he knows a lot of stuff, a lot of current stuff and can rip off names and rosters and, and things like that. That'll, that'll blow your mind. I mean, I don't have that kind of recall. I just don't, especially for the modern era. Well, but, true. And, and Grant Sharp in that regard, although I would say that 
because of the internet and Google, that recall is also now devalued to the point where it's not very relevant. Oh yeah. Well, it, it, it ended the career of and Beatrice, who, right? Yes, who, who made a career of making it up. And now, it's, it's going to end the career of Mike Francesa. I'm convinced. It looks like it. Yeah. He, it Mike Francesa, Andy, are you watching? Oh yeah. I, I did Funhouse. I, I have Twitter and I, I see all the, do you, all the do you not see him going completely off the rails? Cause I do. I think he's getting to the point where eventually it's going to be like, okay, dude, seriously. But maybe yeah. not. Maybe he's got how many more years does Francesa have have in it to do? Well, this? I mean, his his contract, I believe, he, when he came back after his four month retirement, I think it was a five year deal. Wow. And, okay. And he might might stay with it. And look, I mean, it, it is reaching the point where people look at it, and maybe they look at it to to laugh at him, but. They're listening, and last I saw, he's still number one. I know. Still beating, still I, beating the competition. People still like to hear that authoritative New York voice, and they don't yeah. care how dead wrong he is on any number of things. They just don't care. Yeah. No, and they've been listening. You know, they've been, since they were kids, listening in their rooms, listening when their dad drove them home from school or practice or whatever it is. And there's a comfort in that same voice that, that they've always had in yeah. their life. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, did you watch any of the new AAF over the weekend? I did. I did. Um, here's what I would say about it. The football's not bad. It's, it's much better than it was in the XFL. Uh, I like the fact that they don't have the TV timeouts. They get the split screen when they go to commercial. Um, but the football itself, it's kind of like turning on a Toledo, uh, New Mexico game. Yeah. Like it's, it's football. You don't know who any of these guys are. Maybe there's a recognizable name here or there, like Christian Hackenberg. I saw played yesterday and maybe there's a coach that you see the Mike Martz, you know, but by and large, it's a bunch of nameless football players playing in uniforms that look like they just came off the shelf yesterday, which they did. And the initial curiosity, I don't think, is going to keep me sustained to watch it. And what they're saying is the first weekend they drew, I think, close to three million people watching it. And and the real test is because now everything is going to be on TNT, NFL Network, uh, CBS Sports Network, not the big CBS. But when they play the championship game, if they draw three million people, it'll last. I also like the fact that Bill Polian was behind it. And seemingly everything that Bill Polian does works. He built all these Super Bowl teams. And he said, look, this is a developmental league. And we're hoping that teams will send their practice squad players to play on our team to develop their skills. So I think it can sustain as that. If they try to make it bigger, it's going to fail. But right now, it seems to be working out. So in other words, it's like the fourth August game for an entire season. Mm, yeah, I guess. But, you know, people watch the 4th August game and people watch the Pro Bowl. They if do. it's football, they watch it. They do. But part of the, the big thing that is always going to prevent any secondary league from getting big is the care factor. The NFL is built on people caring about their teams. Yes. Even if their teams are awful, miserable, haven't been good in forever, Lions, Browns, are Redskins, Andy. And mm-hmm. so so the caring is what sustains. You may be yes. bad now, but I care about the team. And if you don't care about a particular team, you care about a player. You watch Dak Prescott because you're a Dak fan and you want him to do well. Nobody cares. Nobody knows who most of these players are, and they sure as heck don't care about the San Diego fleet. Right. They, they don't, but here's another thing to throw into the stew here. Uh, the contract comes up in 2021 and it looks like the owners are going to want to play hardball this time. And we've, we thought we've seen the last of the scabs in 87. That's the big question. I don't think scabs would play in today's environment. Probably not, but it would put enough pressure on the players who you recall in 2011, some of them were taking out loans at 20% interest because they were afraid. So it would only take about two weeks of that to get them to cave. And I think the owners are looking at that as, as a possibility. Yeah. All right, real quick. Uh, any thoughts on the Jeff Bezos scandal? Oh boy. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> the latest one. 
latest I read is is what is it the the brother of the mistress leaked the photos yeah. or something yeah yeah uh, a two brute you'd say yeah, to yeah. your brother like what the fuck of course he got paid I'm sure by somebody paid by the oh, Inquirer yeah. I'm sure. sure what I was stunned at is I read a story Andy that said yeah it sure does look like blackmail but from a legal perspective. It's such a high bar. It's almost as high a bar as libel to mm-hmm. prove. And that basically a number of legal experts said that Bezos would have a hard time prevailing in an actual blackmail suit against the Inquirer. Even though they basically said, hey, kill this story or we're going to publish your dick pic. <laughs> like, how is that not blackmail? Yeah. Well, also the the name Pecker entering into the whole circumstance. <laughs> yeah, the just, owner uh, of the Inquirer is named <laughs> David Pecker. Yeah, which you know, just uh, the New York Post. You know, it it's, <laughs> might be the greatest headline since uh, "Headless Man Found a Topless Bar." What was the headline? <laughs> uh, something uh, Bezos exposes Pecker or something like that. Pecker picker on Amazon. <laughs> penis or something like that something awful yeah the headlines are potentially ripe all right andy good to talk to you as always this week and uh, we'll check in next week very good Dave. thanks let me end here with a few thoughts on the grammys last night i watched a good chunk of the show maybe more than i have in recent years i think i've come to appreciate the stagecraft and the sort of the mashups and the collaborations, the young and the old and the two different artists singing something together. And I just like to see how some of the artists are looking these days as well. And I paused it to go uh, read a good night story to my daughter and then came back down. I kept it paused while I was working. And then I had a good buffer of time built up so I could just fast through, fast forward through all the other rubbish. I think this fast forwarding through things could be a hell of an idea. Yeah, where you been on that, pal? Everyone's doing that. You're the only one that doesn't. Okay, sorry. So that said, I'm watching the show. couple things that I noted. Uh, one, Casey Musgraves is hot. Her music does nothing for me. Alicia Keys is just super duper talented and also very hot. Lady Gaga looks great. I think she's had some plastic surgery to tone down her nose, maybe, something else. She looks really good. So as I said that, my my youngest daughter, Megan, was watching at the time, taking a break from her homework, much to the consternation of her mama. And I go, yeah, I think she's had some plastic surgery. She's like, what's wrong with that? I go, whoa, easy, chief. Not judging, I'm just saying. She's like, there's nothing wrong with that. I go, no, there, there is nothing wrong with it. Just don't go overboard, careful. Some people go overboard, and you're like, what the hell? Uh, Dolly Parton might be one of those people, but she's, God, she's old. There she was last night, good old Dolly, singing duets and triets. Tri- what, what, if a duet, what is a three-person sing-along? She did a three-person sing-along, Katy Perry. Katy Perry, I think, her new look. Alpha, love it. Love the blonde, short hair. On her, that's a good, good alternate look. That's like the, like the alternate jersey look for hot chicks. I'm not saying it's the only look I like, but as an alternate, as like a color rush, you get a, a woman who had long dark hair and they change it up to short blonde hair. Plat. Oh, I'm in. Love it. So I'm watching the show, and you know I know half of the acts loosely. I've got a few of them on my Spotify song lists. Which ones? Not saying. I'm not telling you. Very personal. And then there's some uh, perform. There's some artists. I'm like, what? Her. Her is one best R and B perform. Her H period E period R. That's the name of the female artist. Huh? What? Hoo ha? Yeah. So as I'm watching all these different acts, I've never heard of. The thought dawned on me and all of that, Dua Lipa, Dua Lipo, Dua Lipo? Yeah, Dua Lipo. I'm watching the acts and I'm thinking, what's it like when you've reached the mountaintop in music? You're on the Grammys, you've won a Grammy. And maybe you're talented. Maybe you're very talented. 
and you're like, this is the best red carpet, fame, celebrity, money. How do I stay here? That's the hardest thing, the staying power, especially for musical acts. How do they stay at the top? And I started to rewind in my mind to other musical acts that have been on the Grammys over the years and just other musical acts in general. And I just think that if you write one hit song, a true hit song, a top 10 hit in your life, you've done really, really well because that's one of the hardest things to do. And then after you write that one hit, you're thinking, okay, I need to have another one and another one. How do I do it? Where do I, I need a hook here. Help me out. How do I stay relevant? Where are all the musical acts that were once on the Grammys and what are they doing now and how do they feel about their life? Are they okay? Have they moved on? Have they said, yeah, I always knew it was going to be a short time thing. It was not going to last forever. I'm I'm okay with it. We got up there. We got a Grammy. It was great. We played some music. Now we're no longer together and I'm giving guitar lessons out of a garage somewhere. Don't know. Don't know how they deal with that because the highs are so high and that mountaintop is so spectacular that once you fall off it, man, it must be a son of a bitch of a fall to deal with. That will do it for today. If you like today's ZabeCast, please subscribe to the premium version. It comes every Friday. It's not necessarily any better than Monday through Thursday, but at $4.99 a month, at $5 a month, you help support the entire operation here and encourage me to keep running on this little podcast hamster wheel. I'll keep running, I'll keep running, I'll keep running. It's sort of like Patreon without the Patreon infrastructure. Also, there might be some stuff that's better than the other days that I load into Friday. Go to zabe.com slash premium. I appreciate everyone who subscribes. Email me with topics and suggestions and feedback. Zabe at yahoo.com. Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo. Now, just remember, if you've got a problem with your HOA, don't take matters into your own hands. Like Warner Wolf did, get a petition, go to meetings, build a consensus, and just play nice. Play nice, okay, people? Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.